This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? I'm doing well, Katie. How are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for asking. So we're on to season two, episodes five and six of The Office. Yes, we are. Uh, moving right along. Before we get to our discussion, just thought we'd mention that we got our third iTunes review this week from a Mr. Wrench. <laughs> uh, thank you for the review. And as always to everybody else, if you have just a couple spare moments, it doesn't take very long. If you go to iTunes or if you have the podcast app on your Apple device, you can also leave a review there. You just search an American Workplace, nice and easy, and you go to the Reviews tab. And then you are able to add a review from there. So that's a big help to us. It helps with visibility with the show. And it's just a great way for us to hear that you're enjoying what you're hearing so far. So I would encourage everybody, if you have the time, we would certainly appreciate you leaving an iTunes review as well. Great. So I think that sums up the housework. Uh, I guess we're right on to episode five of season two, entitled Halloween. It aired October 18th, 2005, directed by Greg Daniels, written by Paul Feig. In this episode, after talking about downsizing since the very beginning, since the pilot episode of the show, it has finally come to the point where corporate is requiring Michael to fire somebody by the end of the month. And because it's Michael, he waits until the very last day of the month to do it, which means that he is firing somebody, he doesn't yet know who, on Halloween. There's a party planned and everything, everybody's in costume, but something's going to happen, somebody's going to be gone by the end of the day. The episode is spent with Michael asking others for advice, role-playing with Jim, otherwise trying to figure out exactly who he's going to fire, and just generally procrastinating to avoid this confrontation that just has to happen by the end of the day. Um, and in the meantime, fun little side story, Jim and Pam type up a fake resume for Dwight and post it online to get him a job out of state. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment, I suppose. So uh, starting off with character moments, what do you got for us, Katie? Um, I just, you know, typical Michael, um, we got to point out that he's slacking on his job again. He's trying to get others, uh, multiple office members to pick who he's going to fire. Um, and he really can't settle on it. And um, I believe it's Jim that says it's going to be really the first guy that kind of gives him any kind of side eye in the office or anything. And Michael's going to snap and let go of that person. It's just Michael has no clue once again. Yeah, in fact, there's a deleted scene where Toby comes into Michael's office. We don't see Toby in this episode outside of the deleted scenes, I don't think. Uh, so Toby walks in. He's asking, hey, what's the name that you're going to give to corporate? And Michael says, well, since you're so eager to see a head roll, then it's you. Congratulations, you're fired. And Toby says, well, I don't answer to you, Michael. And Michael says, well, well, fine, fine. Just know that if I could fire you, I would. And Toby gives this most depressing little, I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, but there's other moments where Michael is trying to figure it out. Uh, he's talking to Jan's secretary, Sherry, I believe, at the start of the episode. Mm -hmm. And he asks her over the phone, if you're going to be fired, how would you want to be told so that you could still be friends with the person firing you? Because Michael's first concern always is to to be the, the, the fun boss, the, the nice boss, the, the guy who's going to be your buddy. And it's just this aversion to making anybody upset with him at all, on purpose at least, that has led him to procrastinate to the point that he, he, he doesn't know who to fire or how to fire them or even why to fire them. Like, how is he going to come to this conclusion? Jim really does make a good point that it's just going to be somebody to give him a funny look. And ultimately, it did end up being someone kind of at random. Michael tried to fire Creed. And Creed suggested he instead fire Devin, so Michael fires Devin. It's just completely arbitrary. It is. And when Pam asks him why he waited until a holiday, she says, you know, this is going to put a damper on the party. And Michael says, well, it, it's on Halloween because it's scary stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he turns it back on Pam when she says that. He, he says, you're worried about the party? There's a man's life at stake here, Pam. Uh, but it just wouldn't have been a big deal if he hadn't waited until the literal last day of the month, which is a holiday every single year, Michael. And it's even more ridiculous since they're all in costume. They're all, you know, dressed up, anticipating a party at the end of the day. Can you imagine getting fired in costume? Like, just extra humiliating. Yeah, I agree. Uh, very humiliating. And other Michael moments. Well, first off, he does hint towards a lot of people that they need to be on their A game to do their jobs. 
he goes to accounting to Oscar, Kevin, and Angela and says, hey, I need you to find about $50,000 in the budget somewhere. <laughs> just <laughs> just find that so I don't have to fire somebody. Find 50000 And they come to the conclusion that th- there is a department that has three people doing the work that only takes two people. And Oscar says, hey, that, that's great. And Angela just shakes her head. And uh, <laughs> Oscar turns to Kevin and says, oh. And Kevin, uh, knowing his worth, apparently, just says, yeah, oh. <laughs> he he knows that he's the weak link there. <laughs> right. And Angela kind of nods her head a little bit at Kevin, like, it's him, you know. <laughs> and aside from the job-related stuff, he goes up to Kelly, who's decided to address as Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. And he says, interesting take on Dorothy. And he suggests, you know, you should have gotten a soccer ball and cleats instead. Why, Michael? Because she's Indian. Because it's Bend It Like Beckham. That's the reference he's trying to make. And he thinks that you can only appropriately be a character or a person if you are the correct skin color. So it's just, once again, Michael's casual, uh, unaware racism. And it's funny because... Kelly's reasoning is like, well, you know, I I don't play soccer. Like, I, I guess I could be her, but sure. And Michael says, well, I don't really have two heads. And <laughs> I guess Ke- Kelly could have retorted, well, I'm not a fictional character. Like, it's just, that's Halloween. You dress up. And he uh, he really thinks, you know, once again, stereotyping Kelly based on her race. Just kind of a running bit for her. That's kind of all we've gotten really from Kelly's character, I think, so far, is just her Indian heritage is is really all we, we know about her at this point. That will change, of course. We we get a lot more interesting sides of Kelly. Yeah, uh, like in Diversity Day, when Michael is really offensive imitating an Indian person, like a gas station for her. And there, there's other little moments like that where it's, it's more her heritage that are referenced than anything else. Um, right. And speaking of characters that we don't know a whole lot about that we're sort of learning more about as we go, this is our first real glimpse at Creed, I think. I had that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's our first scene with him. Yeah. And it's not as quirky as Creed necessarily comes to be, but it is a fun little scene where he's Michael is trying to fire him and he he's fighting the point. As long as Michael doesn't strictly say, Creed, you're fired, he he's gonna fight it. And he ends up convincing him, Hey, you don't you don't need to to pick me. I I will forget so fast that you tried to fire me. I will always think of you as a person who gave me my life back. So thank you, Michael. I knew you would see it my way. And he just walks out <laughs> without uh letting Michael respond. It, it's a, a clever little twist that that Creed is able to manipulate Michael like that. In fact, there's even a deleted scene where we see a small group of people at the party. It's Creed and I believe Angela and Dwight at the Halloween party. And Creed is um, telling them how great Michael is at making decisions and how he's just a great (laughs) boss because he didn't fire Creed. And Michael then tells them, you are all by far the least popular people in this office and I should have fired you. (laughs) Just What's interesting is when Michael finally does fire Devin, uh, as he's walking out and after he's torn up the, the Chili's coupon that Michael is given as a sort of peace offering, he names everybody in the office except for those four people, uh, Creed, Dwight, Angela, and Michael, and invites him to meet him at the bar. It's like, oh, I, I hadn't taken inventory on that before, but it really is just those four people. And uh, we haven't heard a lot from Devin before this point. I think he popped up in the background of like the Dundies and a couple earlier episodes in season one, but he hasn't been a prominent character at all. So it didn't really hurt us to see him go, but apparently had relationships with most of the other people in the office. I may be incorrect here, but I think that with the release of Devin, this might be the last of the sort of extraneous office members that we don't learn about later on. Do you think I'm I'm correct in saying that? Or do we still have some unnamed characters after this? Well, I think there are a couple of floaters that we don't ever hear from that do disappear eventually, but they aren't really ever named. In fact, there have you seen that article floating around Facebook about this this character who's in the first three seasons of The Office, but we never you never notice her because she doesn't say anything and she's not named explicitly? No. I'll see if I can find that article or that whatever in and, and post it in the show notes. But yeah, there's this one character who apparently just randomly shows up throughout the first three seasons of the show and then just disappears from there. Three seasons. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there was one character. I, I don't remember if it was this episode or the next one where you see uh, you see her as they're leaving the office. 
Devin is definitely the the last of the extraneous named characters, I think. Right. And then from then on, it's just a couple of random faces floating in the background as like extras, basically. Interesting. There are a few interesting Pam and Jim moments in this episode as well, as they are planning Dwight's hopeful release from the office, trying to get him another job offer. There's one that pops up that Pam thinks Jim would be a good fit for. There's a job offer sort of for Dwight, but sort of for Jim at Cumberland Mills that Pam thinks would be perfect for Jim. And Jim gets pretty offended, actually, when Pam suggests he go for it. Of course, stemming from his feelings for Pam and why would she want him to leave the office? So that was an interesting little interaction between the two of them. It's definitely coming from a good place from Pam. She she wants the best for Jim. And as he says, it's it's double the pay. Uh, he likes the food from that area of the country. It, it really would be a good fit for him, aside from the fact that Pam isn't there. Even though, really, Pam not being there is probably a good thing because, hey, Pam is still engaged. When she suggests that, he responds, but it, it's in Maryland. Like, you realize that I wouldn't be here anymore, right? And she says, yeah, but here's the benefits and it it really would be a good fit for you and to jim it really does feel like she's trying to get rid of him almost like uh he's a distraction that she doesn't really want in her life anymore it is sad but jim does take it a little bit out of context i think and thankfully they do resolve the misunderstanding by the end of the episode and it leads to a really sweet moment because pam is saying hey hey I, I didn't mean anything by it if you left here i would blow my brains out uh insinuating that hey you you are my reason for coming to work, basically. Like, if, if Jim left and she blew her brains out, that means that Jim is her reason for coming to work, right? Th- that that right. line of logic follows, I think. And he says, yeah, in, in a talking head, it's just a figure of speech. She's not really going to blow her brains out. If she left here, I wouldn't blow my brains out. But we're friends. And he, he smiles about it. He He's happy that she used such an extreme figure of speech uh, because it really does sort of emphasize their friendship. Right. I just want to sort of allude to something. I don't want to talk about it too much, but Oscar for Halloween is dressed as a woman. And Michael goes up to him and says, you're really showing your true colors. I bet you wish you could wear a dress every day. Oscar responds with, what are you implying? And people who've watched the show know what this is leading to. And I'm probably giving away too much by just mentioning it, but I didn't want to forget about it later. Right. And so there's that scene. And then there was actually a moment in the fire in our last episode when they're playing, who would you do out in the parking lot? And when they first start playing the game, Kevin mentions Pam and right on Kevin's heels, Oscar is very quick to echo. And knowing what we do, it's almost like he's trying to compensate for something. That's all I want to say is that using the phrase showing your true colors is a little bit offensive for sure. But Michael is certainly on to something without realizing it, I think. I think we have a tally on our assistant to the regional manager account. It was actually between Dwight and Stanley in this episode. Um, so I don't know if that counts for our for our total tally uh, between Dwight and Michael. But we do have a little interaction where Stanley corrects Dwight on his actual job title. Yeah, it is the first one of season two. I did count it. This is our seventh time that joke is made. And it's when... Michael has asked Dwight to go and try to fire Stanley. Right. And Stanley just slaps him off. Dwight basically says, as, as assistant regional manager, I have the authority. And Stanley interrupts and says, to the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, just just laughs at uh, Dwight. I think he's sort of doing another Donald Trump kind of reference. You're fired. Ha 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 ha. And Dwight just walks off and goes back to Michael and says, yeah, he just laughed at me. He didn't take it seriously. But yeah, that's our seventh one and the first of season two. There's also one really nice Michael moment at the end, the very end of the episode. It's, um, I believe it's the last scene when Michael's at his house, at his new house, actually, that we learned about in the last couple of episodes, where a group of kids comes up and uh, they're trick-or-treating. And we see how good Michael is with kids and how just nice and normal he is. And he's complimenting their costumes and giving them candy. And it was just a nice, normal moment for Michael that was really refreshing. Oh, I love that moment. It shows to me that at the end of the day, Michael is a good guy with a good heart. I mean, that's what it boils down to. It's it's definitely a contrast from season one, as we've already talked about. So I won't go into it too much. But in season two, the difference being, uh, yes, Michael is still offensive. Yes, he still says things he shouldn't. Yes, he behaves in ways he shouldn't. But the difference is he's so much more likable in this season just because he does seem like he's coming from this from a place of goodwill. Uh, he avoids 
firing somebody up to this point because he doesn't want to fire anybody in his office. He likes everybody. There's a deleted scene at, where at the start of the day, he's walking around the office and he's sort of uh, scoping out everything and he compliments Phyllis on being a hard worker and he compliments Stanley on being so so self-assured and not feeling like he has to dress in a costume to fit in with everybody else. He's Yeah, you're, you're brave, Stanley. I like that about you. And he, as he's walking back into his office, he says, you're all such wonderful, innocent people. And he's almost got like a tear in his eye because he, he doesn't want to let any of these people go. Yes, because he doesn't want to be the bad guy. Yes, it's slightly selfish, but also because he likes these people. These are people he goes to work with every day. And it really is him just trying to not upset anybody or not hurt anybody's feelings. And I think also being the boss, he has a, you know the majority of the say of who gets hired. And yes, some of the staff has been there longer than he has, but he wouldn't have hired anybody that he wouldn't have liked. And so he kind of built himself a little family there, I think. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some funny moments. Um, I really like Dwight's costume in this episode. He's dressed as a Sith Lord from Star Wars. So he's got the, the big robe and he's got a red lightsaber. And Phyllis turns to him and asks, what are you, a monk? And he's so, like, defeated. He deflates. He has his lightsaber up, but he just sort of collapses and leans backwards in his chair like, oh, I'm a Sith Lord, Phyllis. I tried so hard. <laughs> right. And he, he definitely is equating more effort spent on the costume with a better costume. So he, he's comparing himself to Jim. Jim has taken these three pieces of paper, circular pieces of paper, and put them on his right side of his body. So he is three hole punch Jim, right. uh, which Phyllis thinks is pretty clever because, hey, it's a paper company and paper comes in plain white or three hole punch. And so it's very Jim. But Dwight says, you know, I spent $129 on this. So clearly my costume is superior to your low effort pieces of paper. And we kind of see Dwight struggling with his lightsaber, which isn't quite working correctly. And Halloween costumes are notoriously pretty cheap and not made to last. And <laughs> even though it cost a lot of money, it was just not the creativity of Jim's. Which I have to say, I've never been a big Halloween person. I always, I don't know, I don't like dressing up, which is funny because I'm an actor. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I just, I don't know, I never really liked it. So if I were to dress up in this office, I definitely would have gone the gym route. That's exactly my kind of costume. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun every season when we get around to the Halloween episode, seeing what Jim comes up with. And this yeah. is the first of those fun little quirky costumes that Jim is known for. Now, there's another moment with Dwight and his costume when he is in Michael's office and he's suggesting these names to Michael for firing. And he basically names everybody except for himself. He even names people from the warehouse. Right. And then Michael, he's wearing his second head as his costume and he turns and he, he's acting like the head is talking to him, like he's suggesting something. He says, oh, I hadn't thought about him. <laughs> and he's heavily <laughs> insinuating that the head is suggesting that he fire Dwight. And the camera angle during this is angled upward to the left of Dwight's face. And so the hood is covering his face and you just see his chin, just like Emperor Palpatine or um, <laughs> Darth Sidious, whatever you want to call him in Star Wars. And he even adapts the voice a little bit. He says, no, Michael, don't listen to him. <laughs> Tell him to stop. No, Michael, not Dwight. <laughs> it's, it's very serious. <laughs> it's very much one of my, my favorite parts of the whole episode because it, it is so ridiculous and Dwight so easily falls into that character. And then later when Jim is called into Michael's office and Michael closes the blinds in the door, uh, everybody's sort of assuming that Jim is actually about to be the one fired. Especially since Michael just overheard Jim uh, saying that, oh, he'll probably just be irrational and fire the first person that, you know, kind of irks him. Right. And then Michael gets all serious and, Jim, will you come into my office? So everyone kind of thinks, especially Pam, that Jim's about to get cut. Right. And then as as that happens and Jim walks in, it, the camera cuts to Dwight or turns to Dwight and he gets this evil grin and he pulls his hood back on <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, yes, everything going to plan. <laughs> <laughs> we already mentioned the uh, Jim and Pam making up a resume for Dwight and putting it online. Uh, they, they put in things like ultimate team player and sticks to his guns because he's a gun nut and stuff like that. <laughs> And then when the call does come in from Cumberland Mills, interested in Dwight, um, 
Pam says, oh, yeah, I'm going to forward you to our regional manager, Michael Scott, forwards it to Jim, who pretends he's Michael. And he calls, oh, oh yeah, Dwight is the greatest employee of his generation. If Dwight K. Schrute doesn't meet, nay exceed all of your expectations, you can hold me, Michael Gary Scott, personally and financially <laughs> responsible. <laughs> and right after that moment when uh, the call ends, uh, Pam and Jim do their first Air 5 from their desks, which... I guess it is the first. Yeah, yeah. it's something that they do throughout the show. So that, that's the first time. And um, then just Dwight's response to this uh, job offer that he gets from Cumberland Mills. They call his desk and he is talking sort of under his breath like, uh, I don't know if you got my official resume. I might want to <laughs> supplement that. <laughs> it, 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 he's being real discreet, but his first concern isn't, how did you get my resume? Uh, why are you calling me? I didn't apply for this job. His first concern is to make sure that they have the full actual resume. Uh, what does it say under martial arts training? Oh, I have to supplement that because that's not all the information. You need everything. You need my martial arts skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. They call back and and say that martial arts training is irrelevant. They didn't need to know that information. And Dwight calls him incompetent and he tells him to burn in hell. And then, uh, oh, you, you'll, you'll let me know when you've made a decision? <laughs> they hang up on him. But also during that phone call interaction, there's a talking head that Dwight has that says, you know, I'm all about loyalty. Um, I think I'm actually paid at Dwight uh, at Dunder Mifflin for my loyalty a little bit. But if this other place or somewhere else were to value loyalty more than Dunder Mifflin goes, then I would go where loyalty is valued the highest, which totally undermines the purpose of or the, the idea of loyalty. But it, it's a very Dwight kind of moment. Which I think is is an interesting Dwight moment because he is fiercely loyal to Dunder Mifflin and to Michael as we'll see, you know, throughout the whole series. And um, at least this early Dwight, it's surprising that he would up and leave Dunder Mifflin so quickly, given the opportunity. I guess the way Michael treats him is just finally stacking up against him and uh, making him actually consider somewhere else, especially because this is apparently such a big pay increase. And uh, yeah. Big enough to make him leave his 40-acre, was it, beet farm? I mean, hey, I must have been a good job offer. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. The only other sort of funny moment that I had mentioned was when Michael goes to Angela and he asks about the cobwebs and the other Halloween decorations <laughs> that they put up. And uh, they don't know the answer, but we get uh, the benefit of cutting to the cleaning guy vacuuming them all down. Like, oh, man, what? I don't know where these cobwebs come from, but I need to vacuum them all down. <laughs> it's just a, this silly moment that uh, this cleaning guy has that I don't know why he felt the need to, but it, it is funny. It's clearly Halloween, yeah. I liked the uh, Michael moment. It's a little one, but right at the end of the episode when he's saying how much he loves Halloween and it's always such a good time when we ended with a really miserable office and, you know, a ruined party because he waited to fire someone until the last minute. But it's okay. I love Halloween. Halloween's always great. <laughs> it's just like you just ruined everyone's day and ruined some guy's year, you know, but yeah, that's Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Now, deleted scenes, I've mentioned most of mine, but there was one thing that I hadn't caught. Well, obviously, I hadn't watched the deleted scenes before, but it's something that I didn't know. And I was curious if you did. Uh, Stanley, well, Michael suggests that everyone takes a 10% pay cut so that he doesn't have to fire anyone. He, think, he thinks he's being really clever about this. Hey, if you just take a pay cut, all of you can stay. Don't have to worry about who's getting fired today. Everybody wins. You just lose a little bit of money. And Stanley responds and says he has kids in college. That's the quote. He says, I have kids in college. So I don't remember Stanley mentioning that he has older children before. D do you? Hmm. Um, we knew about his younger daughter who goes to Catholic school because Michael has made lewd comments about her in previous episodes. Uh, but I don't remember Stanley ever mentioning that he has an older child. So I don't know if this was something that they didn't ever touch on again. And so maybe it was sort of retconned or if it was just uh, something that we didn't really need to know. So it wasn't ever mentioned. What do you think? I may have misheard the quote because I heard it as I have kids I'm sending to college, like down the line. Maybe I, I can't remember how I heard it now. I do remember that line, but I'm not remembering the phrasing. That's something I'll, I'll have to listen to again. Let's see. Well, 
I've told you about the website, officequotes.net. Yes. Which is amazing. I use it in preparing for every single episode at this point. So if you guys out there listening haven't been to officequotes.net, this person or people have come together and they have listed every single bit of dialogue from every single episode in the series. And they're actually going through and adding all, all of the deleted scenes as well. So, you are sure right. I just looked it up. I have kids in college. Yeah, I was just looking up as well. I just found it. I have kids in college, so I don't I don't know. I never heard that before. I don't remember them mentioning it at any other point. So I guess we'll just have to keep a vigilant ear out as we continue to see if there's any more mention of Stanley as apparently older children. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just heard about the one daughter. Maybe there was a second that I remember, but I always was under the impression that the existing children that we knew about were younger, maybe middle or high school. Yep. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Yeah. I did have two additional deleted scenes that I liked. We did get a shortened version of the hunting scene in the episode when when Michael is asked by a cameraman off camera if he had ever been hunting. And Michael replies, yes, I've been hunting. You know, I had to shoot the deer in the leg. It took forever. Why do you ask? But in the um, extended version, it's this horrible, long, drawn out, like... Yeah, I had to beat it with a shovel for half an hour. And when you really watch the life leave its eyes, like you shouldn't have to do that. And it was just this like five minute, it wasn't five minutes, but it was a long scene where he describes just absolutely decimating this deer and it took forever and it was horrible. And which was really funny because that's exactly what he's talking about is is firing somebody and just doing it in the most awful, drawn out way possible. And the scene was awful and drawn out. It was a really nice, ironic moment like that. I'm glad you mentioned that because I meant to mention it during the actual episode discussion. I love that talking head where it's just, yeah, I- I've been hunting before, shot a deer in the leg, had to beat it with a shovel, took an hour. Why do you ask? And it's <laughs> right, it's smack dab in the middle of him trying to fire Creed. Uh, and speaking of that, we do get an extended scene and deleted scenes of Michael actually trying to start a casual conversation before firing Creed. He's, oh, you've been here for a while. Uh, he, he's like trying to convince Creed that he's retirement age. It's time for him to leave. And uh, you, you want to live out the rest of your life happy, not working, all that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't work out. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that one. And then there's also another little one that I liked where um, Michael went down to the lobby, I guess, of the building and is talking to, I believe his name is Hank, although we don't know that yet, the security guard for the building. And Michael tries to maybe fire him, doesn't know whose payroll he's on. And then he gets on the elevator and says, okay, by the time I get to my floor, I will make a decision. And then immediately the elevator dings. And he says, oh, that was a lot faster than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's our first interaction with Hank, I think. And uh, it is funny, Michael coming up with all these different ways of trying to figure out or trying to determine exactly who he's going to fire and just finding himself incapable every single time. I had one more deleted scene I wanted to mention, and it's when Dwight uh, in a talking head compares himself to Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. He said, uh, you know, I wasn't meant to take that Cumberland Mills job. Like Anakin Skywalker was destined to become Darth Vader. I am destined to sell paper at Dunder Mifflin, which yeah, they, they both, I, I suppose have their destinies, but it is interesting that he's comparing himself to such an evil character because that's who Dwight is. <laughs> yeah, <a little> bit. <laughs> he's interested in the darkness. He is. Well, I think you have our discussion topic for this episode, so what are we talking about? I do. It's a simple one. It's Halloween. At least it is at the office right now. What was the best Halloween costume that you ever had? Well, I like Halloween. I like dressing in costumes, and I have a long tradition of always making my own costumes. It's just something that I thought was always a lot of fun. It's hard to pick a favorite. You you probably remember my ones from college. I did Indiana Jones one year. I did Marty McFly one year. Probably one of my favorites was when I was Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I took a, <laughs> a green hoodie and uh, a lime green t-shirt, and I cut the t-shirt into the, the neck pattern around Kermit's head, and I took a ping pong ball and cut it in half and drew the eyes on it and put it on top. And then I oh, nice. took uh, the rest of the t-shirt and some cardboard and fashioned like uh, flippers for my feet. So that, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I was Mr. Incredible one year as well. <laughs> I like Halloween. I always enjoyed coming out with my own costume. So it's hard to pick a favorite, but probably that Kermit one or maybe even Mr. Incredible. Yeah, those are good. What about you? So I always, I, I like Halloween, but I never plan enough in advance. And then I'm never at a party. I don't know. I just, I'm just not a huge Halloween person, but I like Halloween. 
but by far my best Halloween costume ever. I was probably nine or ten, and this is all props to my mom. She was the real champ here. So this is a bit of a story, actually. I rode horses competitively growing up. I, I jumped, and my horse, Chico, and I went to our barn's costume contest. They had a costume contest every year where you and your horse had to dress up together um, as like a, a team. It's silly, but you know, I was 10. It was fun. And I was Cindy Lou Who, and he was the Grinch from the Jim Carrey, the Grinch. <laughs> and my mom handmade my dress and my horse's costume. She made an entire Santa suit for this horse. It was incredible. And she put my hair up in this, you know, the Cindy Lou Who, like her hair is a two and a half feet tall. It's really right. She had a cup on the top of my head and wrapped my hair all around the cup so it stood up really tall. And there's this animal safe paint that you can buy. They You actually use it for horses. It's meant for horses for whatever reason. I don't know why this is a thing, but it is. And we, um, it's called Twinkle Toes, but you <laughs> can paint your horse and it was this glitter green paint. So we painted him pretty much entirely green and then he had this huge santa vest on and so the idea of this costume contest was to like walk around the arena and just show off your, your costume and this horse may he rest in peace was a little um grumpy he was a little stubborn just like the grinch so that was perfect <laughs> and he uh, as we entered the arena decided to lay down and roll Good. And so he ruined the vest and got all the green paint, and I was furious and just, ah. Uh, so we, we still got second place, though. So that was a, <laughs> it was an achievement. <laughs> That's very cool. I didn't know you were into uh, horse jumping. Yes, for a very long time. I started in like second grade and all the way really until I had to leave for college, um, competitively jumped. So that was, I actually considered joining the equestrian team at Tech, but. Being that and a music major, impossible. <laughs> right. So. You wouldn't have had any free time whatsoever. Yeah. You had to leave to, for Louisiana every other weekend. They had a show in Louisiana. Oh, wow. So that was not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that wraps up our discussion on Halloween. So let's move on to our second episode, which is The Fight. It aired on November 1st of 2005 and was directed by both Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky. It was written by Ken Quapis. What was this episode about, or what happens in this episode? So on this day in the office, um, several of Michael's routine tasks that he has to do on the day-to-day -day basis um, fall on the same day, which Pam calls the perfect storm. This happens once a year. <laughs> uh, they all fall on a Friday. So Michael, of course, procrastinates on all of his work, um, including by sending Ryan around to collect everyone's updated emergency contact information. We learn that Dwight is a senpai at a karate school in Scranton. When Michael hears that Dwight does karate, he, uh, he's very confident that he can best Dwight, which leads to a lunchtime fight at Dwight's dojo. When Michael um, indeed does win the fight, this leads to Dwight changing his emergency contact information from Dwight to the hospital. The remaining few members of the office um, who remain behind at the end of the day help Michael by forging his signature on the paperwork that he's procrastinated on. And here's the big news as Michael tries to regain Dwight's trust by officially promoting him to assistant regional manager. Dwight got there. He did it. He did it. But it, it's sort of under the table, non-official, don't tell anybody, three-month probationary period. <laughs> but it does happen. <laughs> no and, pay raise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, while, while we're talking about it, I guess I can go ahead and say we do get one more of the sort of, it, it's a variation, but I'm going to count it anyways, because Jim and Dwight are talking. And Dwight is explaining what senpai is. And he says, it's basically assistant sensei or something like that. And Jim says, oh, assistant to the sensei. <laughs> and Dwight, <laughs> no, assistant sensei. So since it's the same it. joke format, I count it. Uh, so that brings yeah. our tally to eight. And I believe it. the joke still continues, even though Dwight gets the, the promotion. So we'll, we'll continue updating that as we go. Now, with character moments in this episode, we do get the reveal that Dwight is very into his martial arts training. He's a purple belt. I don't remember the exact name of the the martial art that he's studying, but it is sort of Japanese sounding. I don't think I'd pronounce it right anyways. Um, <laughs> but he says, you know, this, this belt is a message to everyone in this office that I am physically capable of dominating them. 
And then we get this cut to Dwight in his gear at the dojo, smashing the face of a dummy with the heel of his hand. And he just sort of turns <laughs> to the camera and he's so proud. Look at me. I'm, I'm smashing this guy's face. <laughs> I think it's also worth pointing out that Purple Belt is not terribly high in ranking of belts. <laughs> it's, I, I'm trying to remember. My, my sister was extremely competitive in karate. Sorry, in, in taekwondo. Actually went to the Olympic qualifiers. Wow. Yeah, she's crazy. But I can't remember... Purple's like halfway. Like it's not he's not a black belt. He's not insanely good. In fact, when we see him fight, he's pretty horrible. Yeah, and he's in a class full of children. He's he's yeah. very much <laughs> it's not like an adult karate class. It's it's him taking a martial arts class with a bunch of 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds. <laughs> and and the uh sensei is correcting Dwight's form out of everybody. Speaking of Dwight, I think it's worth pointing out that at work, Dwight's emergency contact is his boss at work, <laughs> which is extremely counterproductive. If there was a uh, an emergency at work, Michael would have to call himself, which is just not the point of having an emergency contact at work. Yeah, there's a lot of Dwight-Michael interaction in this episode, understandably, since it is about their fight that the title alludes to. And Dwight is very hesitant to to prove to Michael that he can beat him up. Michael saying, no, I know a lot of 14-year-old girls that can kick his ass. Uh, Jim retaliates with, you know a lot of 14-year-old girls? <laughs> That's a concern. <laughs> Why? Uh, <laughs> but uh, Dwight is hesitant. He, he respects Michael a lot, as we've seen time and time again. And he only hits Michael initially to prove that it's sort of a defending his honor kind of thing. He says, did I want to harm Michael, the one man I've been hired to protect, which I can 100% guarantee is not in his job description? <laughs> Why does he think that's his job? I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he he really struggles with it. When Michael does challenge him to the fight at the dojo, he respects Michael, but he does want to stand up for his honor. And there's this great shot where everybody is in the elevator on their way down to the first floor to go to the dojo. And Michael is looking very serious. Dwight is looking sort of hesitant, like, I don't really want to do this, but I, I have to do this. He's conflicted. And behind them in the center is Kevin. And he's just sort of looking back and forth like, oh, man, this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, I, I love that shot. But it, it, it really shows the contrast between what Michael and Dwight are thinking in that moment. Michael also... Um finally gets Ryan's cell phone number in this episode as oh. Ryan has been tasked with updating everyone's contact information. So Michael just abuses Ryan's cell phone all day long with bad impressions of Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson, um, and Ryan gets so fed up we see him ignoring Michael's calls and Michael's not thrilled with that. <laughs> no, he says, oh, we're playing phone tag, which isn't how phone tag works. Not exactly <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> He's just trying to justify why Ryan would be ignoring his call and it's because Ryan's playing a game with me. We're playing phone tag. Isn't that fun? <laughs> But uh, this fight that he goes to with Dwight, he extends lunch by an hour to fight him. And that contrasts with, as Jim tells us, the Albany branch of Dunder Mifflin that is working actually through lunch in order to prevent downsizing. So downsizing, despite Michael finally firing somebody at the end of the previous episode, uh, downsizing is still a real threat that might uh, affect our characters in the office in the future. Uh, but hey, Michael doesn't care. Let's go have a fight at a dojo for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And Michael fights dirty with Dwight. He He's trying to uphold his honor, too, in the same way that Dwight is trying to uphold his honor. But it's because he's the boss and he wants to assert himself as the boss and not for any other honorable reason. And so when it comes to the fight, he doesn't know the proper rules to begin with. So it it might be forgivable that he does break them, but he still plays dirty. <laughs> and uh, it is shameful to Dwight. He gets upset with Michael and really bummed out that Michael cheated in order to beat him. And that is when he goes in and uh, changes his emergency contact info to the hospital. But then here goes Michael manipulating Dwight again by telling him that, you know, I've been testing you all day and you passed and you are now assistant regional manager. And... I struggle with this because, yes, it's Michael recognizing that Dwight feels upset and is really bummed out and he's trying to make Dwight feel better. But it's also him manipulating Dwight. And he has this talking head at the end of the episode after this happens. He says something like, I, I showed Dwight that there is honor in losing, which, as we all know, is ridiculous. But there is honor in making the loser feel better. <laughs> and then he, he gets his very famous Michael Scott quote, would I rather be feared or loved? 
easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> but uh, it it's just Michael continuing this manipulation of Dwight. Yes, it does come from a slightly good place of wanting Dwight to feel better and not to be so dejected, but it is still selfish in a way. Yeah. I had a couple of interesting Pam moments as well. Pam as the receptionist for the office and I think Michael sees her as sort of the mom or the organizer of the office, too. She's kind of put in charge of Michael's productivity. When Michael's slacking off, if she doesn't whip him into shape, no one will and his tasks won't get done. So she kind of steps into the role of his boss, which is an interesting um, character point for her because she's generally pretty meek and quiet. But when it comes to Michael, she can kind of take charge and make sure he gets his stuff done. She can kind of be a mean boss when she has to be. And it's funny because he is practicing his signatures on a blank piece of paper, i.e. not on the things that he should be putting his signatures. And so she knocks on his window and says, hey, practice on the forms. And then later, Michael is out in the, the actual office space and Pan sneaks into his office and puts the stack, the paper stack onto his keyboard. And then in a deleted scene, there's another part where she goes in and she puts it on his chair. So he has to move it if he wants to sit in his chair. And so she's being very persistent with getting, trying to get Michael to do the work. That is, it's, it's like the easiest busy work known to man. Just signing your name. That's all it is. And then there's also an interesting Pam moment um, at the dojo with Jim. Jim and she start, you know, kind of horsing around and uh, messing around and playing. And Pam sees that her coworkers are watching her and Jim. So she kind of freaks out and forcefully asks Jim to put her down, uh, which again, kind of hurts Jim's feelings. Just like in the last episode, Pam, I think is becoming very aware of how her coworkers see her relationship with Jim. It is very flirty, especially in this moment. I mean, I understand they're good friends and that good friends can sometimes horse around like that, but it, it very much comes across as two people flirting with each other. Right. And so she does get upset and walk away. And at the end of the episode, Jim does, he, he starts to type an email and then realizes that the camera is watching. And so he deletes it and closes it out. Uh, but then he does ultimately apologize without saying anything by just leaving her the bag of chips that he promised if he, if she was able to convince Michael to get everybody to go to the dojo. Talking about funny moments, there's the cold open for this episode where yes. Dwight shows up and his desk is missing and he blames Jim rightfully to start with. And then Jim is, uh, calm down, calm down. Now, where did you last see your desk? Let's retrace your steps. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dwight starts saying, I'm going to tell Michael about all of you hiding my desk, being so deliberate. And then Jim turns it into a game. And right as Dwight's about to open Michael's office, he says, cold. And it turns into a game of hot and cold. And Jim leads him to the men's restroom where he has set up camp. And the desk is still exactly the way it should be, except it's just in the wrong place. And adding to the hilarity of the situation, uh, Jim calls Dwight's desk after he has found it and asks him about paper prices, leading Dwight to sit down as if it was work as usual, business as usual, and look at paper prices. And <laughs> it's just a, a funny cold open. Dwight completely easily accepts the fact that Jim has done this. He was upset at first, and then when he finds it, it's just business as usual. And <laughs> he just sits down and does his job. And Kevin is actually exiting the restroom stall as Dwight sits down. And Kevin kind of gives Dwight an, an odd look. And Dwight just says, wash your hands, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it's like completely normal. You know, he's he's fine as long as he's doing his work. He's all right. Jim makes multiple references to West Side Story in this episode as well. Uh, first, when Michael was talking about a past life spent in street gangs and how there were no rules on the street and all that kind of stuff. And Jim responds with, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then when uh, Pam is convinced Michael to confront Dwight and ultimately challenge him to the fight at the dojo, Jim follows doing the the big like crazy dance snaps <laughs> like oh, we're going to a rumble that kind of stuff <laughs> that's referenced twice and then the karate kid is referenced twice as well um kevin says sweep the leg at the fight at the dojo and then michael when when dwight walks in to change his emergency contact information michael says uh hey look it's a karate kid the hillary swank version which many would admit is probably the lesser of the Karate Kid films, not because it's Hillary Swank, but just because it was it was too much. Uh, but those are two things that are referenced multiple times in this episode. 
There was another funny Jim moment when he learns that Dwight has a sensei and that he does karate. <laughs> and Jim is on a sales call and he kind of overhears Dwight and piques his interest and he has to hang up. He has to do this later. He has to talk to Dwight about what is going on. He has no choice but to turn this into a prank. Yeah, it is funny how he just it's, it immediately captures his attention and he hangs up his phone call. <laughs> uh, well, he doesn't strictly hang up, but uh, he says, I'll call you back. And then all his attention is on Dwight because it's, it's prime prank opportunity and he is all in. He's not about to lose this chance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. Michael funny moments. He gets one of my favorite just tiny moments where he he's flicking his mug to the beat and he's singing i don't want to work i just want to <laughs> bang on this mug all day <laughs> it, and then uh the camera zooms out because we're just focused on michael and it zooms out it shows that ryan is in the room as well and he says did you call me in here for any specific reason she's <laughs> <laughs> <you> gonna sing <laughs> and at the end of that that same short scene michael says something like yeah, being a boss is hard because when you're tough on people, they resent you. And when you're cool, they walk all over you. And Ryan responds, yeah, it's Catch-22. And Michael echoes, yeah, Catch-22. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but sure, no. it sounds good. Uh, Ryan said it, so cool. And then later, when Michael challenges Dwight in the break room, he says, you know, I wasn't expecting the second punch, Dwight. Uh, I, I absorbed the first one, but you followed up with the second one that I was not ready for. So Catch-22. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not at all what the Catch-22 is. And you could just get Jim and Pam in the background looking at each other like, what? <laughs> Michael learned a new word today. <laughs> yes, he did. He's going to use it. <laughs> Speaking of Dwight and his karate, I think one of my favorite deleted scenes is when we learn that Dwight isn't actually senpai. His sensei does not consider him senpai. It's actually a girl named Alyssa who is... um. She qualified for regionals, and she's uh, apparently really good and very eager, and the sensei seems to really like her. He smiles when she comes in, and Dwight says, well, yeah, sure, I guess she is technically senpai, but she's she's 16 or however old she is. I mean, you should see me in her category. I could definitely win. <laughs> it's like, that's not the point, Dwight. <laughs> he says something like, uh, uh, of course she's good. She's in a, a category with a whole bunch of 13-year-old girls. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Dwight, I mean, she's a 13-year-old girl. It makes sense that she'd be in that category. It's not because she's in that category that she's good. It's it's everybody's on the same level. Right. Uh, and he says, yeah, <laughs> just watch if I was in that category, how she'd fare. <laughs> <laughs> we get the first hint in the deleted scenes that Meredith might be an alcoholic, uh, which is a later plot point. Not a huge spoiler, I don't guess. And that's something that develops. But Kelly approaches her and asks if she's going to happy hour. And Meredith says, oh, I'm still recovering from last night. Uh, Thursday night bender, okay. And then she waits, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly kind of looks back and, oh, okay. <laughs> and there was another with Dwight at his dojo. He kind of gets in trouble and Dwight says, well, you know what, never mind. I'm I, I'm not here to make friends with the other students. I'm here to attack people. But of course, <laughs> the rest of his like students in his class are all children, probably under the age of 13. Like, okay, that's... Not you should be learning, you know, self-defense or whatever. But now he wants to attack children, apparently. Dwight's clearly not coming at this from the appropriate place. You know, the first thing in these Taekwondo classes or martial arts classes that they always teach is that it's for self-defense, purely. You're not supposed to go out and attack people. So for Dwight to say that that's what he's there to do, definitely wrong from any yeah. respected teacher. <laughs> Now, we've talked from the beginning about how we want this to be a sort of audience-focused show. We want a lot of your feedback so we can include it on the show and help it to grow. And we've got a couple of things that we just wanted to, to mention this week. So first, we got an email from Jordan McCarthy. Katie, would you like to read that? Yes. So a couple episodes ago, Michael was referencing the TV show Friends and comparing some of the Office members to the TV show and said that Dwight was actually like Kramer. And Chad and I said that Michael... Um, sort of incorrectly placed Kramer in the, in the in the TV show Friends. But Jordan said, Hey guys, when Michael said that The Office was like Friends and that Dwight was Kramer, my interpretation was that Dwight wasn't really a part of the group because he tries too hard and he is the way he is. Just thought you might like a different aspect to your own. Cheers, Jordan. Really good point, Jordan. That would make a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I think I would believe it more if it came from Jim. And he was saying, yeah, 
I'm like Ross and Michael's like so-and-so and Pam is like Rachel, but Dwight, eh, he's like Kramer. Like if it was delivered a little bit differently and especially if it came from somebody like Jim, I would be more inclined to think that this interpretation is correct. Um, I definitely think it's interesting, but because it's from Michael, I think that Michael is just wrong, <laughs> but uh, I, I definitely appreciate the the different perspective. I, I like that. Who knows? We'll have to get uh, Steve Carell on here and ask him, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully one day. <laughs> and then uh, Chris Sace, who's responded to us before. Uh, Back again, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, he responded to our discussion topic from Office Olympics, uh, where we said, let's create an Office Olympics game. And this was his idea. He said, someone picks an obscure word or phrase, and then the other people need to work that into their phone calls. So I, I like that idea. And Funny enough, that that same sort of aspect, it's not a game per se, but it comes into future episodes of The Office. Uh, so I like that you took something from the show and uh, sort of made it your own and turned it into a game for the Olympics. There's a Jimmy Fallon bit he does on his show. I'm forgetting what it's called, but they have a, a game like that where they have to draw cards and work it into the conversation. It's a fun one. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I don't remember either, but uh, it sounds familiar to me as well. Yeah. Well, that's a good one, Chris. Thanks for responding. Yes, thank you. And to everybody else, if you want to answer our discussion topics for yourself and let us know, or if you have any other things that you want to respond to, if we missed something, or we got something wrong, those are welcome too. I mean, we're, we're not perfect. We're enjoying the show. We're fans of the show, but we're not going to get everything right. So if you want to contact us about anything, you can definitely email us, tweet us, Facebook us, just about anywhere you can find us and let us know how you like the show and add your own input and we'll definitely try to include it and read it on the show. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our official sixth episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplace pod or on Twitter at workplace pod. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thank you to those who have. Please email us with feedback, ideas, etc. to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And as always, the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and at my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find at thecinescopepodcast.com or wherever else podcasts can be found. All show notes and all contact information can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on Episode 6 of An American Workplace. Be sure to join us in Episode 7 for our discussion of the next two episodes of Season 2, The Client and Performance Review. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.